right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Suzanne Fortunato, who is the creator, the founder of Vessel Health. Suzanne, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks, Matt. I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing pretty great. Today was an extreme, I feel like an abnormally productive day for me. And now all afternoon, I'm doing podcast stuff. So I'm stoked. Sounds like a great day. It, it is, but it's about to get a little better because we're about to dive into what you're working on with Vessel Health. And for the people that don't know what Vessel Health is, can you give us an idea on what you're working on? Sure. So Vessel is a patient-facing platform for people like you to get all of your medical information into one place. Okay. So just right off the bat, obviously, there's, there's plenty of different valuable ways I feel like someone could use this. But let's uh, dive into, I guess, how, how you want someone to be using the Vessel Health. Can you give an example of like, uh, you know, a hypothetical user story or how someone interacts with, with your platform? Sure. So I think the, the main takeaway for, for me for, that I want people to have if they're using Vessel is the sense that they like have a clear understanding of what's going on with their health and that they feel empower, empowered to advocate for the things that they need. Um, so like a, an example of something I only noticed once I started getting all my medical information in one place with Vessel um, is that though I'm at like reasonably high risk for high cholesterol and heart disease based off of my family history, I have never had a cholesterol test. And I just sort of assumed that doctors were doing those tests along the way because they had that information about my history. Um, but due to other factors, I was not getting those tests done. That's like an important thing for me to keep track of. So one thing I'm, I'm curious about is what data sources do you tap into to get the to get this information, or is it all proprietary? Is it is it user user generated data? This goes into the world I don't understand, which is like health <laughs> and health and that that world. So, can you kind of help me understand where the data comes from? Sure. So, I think let's back up a second and talk about where healthcare data lives generally. If that's all right. Um, so, when you go to the doctor, uh, whatever doctor you go to, they document about your care for clinical reasons, but also for billing reasons and legal reasons. So every doctor you see keeps some record of their interactions with you. Um, and then depending on where those doctors are located, the system in which they document can be totally separate. So if you go to a primary care doctor down the street, and then you see a specialist at a hospital that's like a couple of towns over, those doctors might not be looking at the same information and your information would be split between them because they're different organizations. Um, so what Vessel does is tap into the online accounts for any organization you've seen and with your permission, go get your data and bring it back into one place together. So I'm going to try to make a comparison to just software and let me know if I'm totally off base. I mean, obviously this yeah. is software, but more so um, you'll see what I mean. So is this kind of, kind of something where it's almost like you're tapping into different systems, APIs and aggregating all information into one dashboard, regardless of the system that, that a doctor, nurse, you know, dentist uses. Is, is that a good, is that a decent comparison? It's a great comparison. Yeah. Cool. So I'd love to just get just for my own like for my own knowledge. I'd love to get an idea um, on how many like in the healthcare system and just like the health and health in general. How many like different systems could a doctor's office use? Does each doctor's office have their own system? Is there big players in this space where thousands of doctors use specific companies, and then some doctors use smaller companies? I guess can you give me a little mm -hmm. bit of the breakdown purely out of curiosity? Sure. So I would say that the 
the market is doc dominated by Epic, which is a medical records company, um, and Cerner. Those are the two big players, at least in terms of hospital software. And then as you get to maybe practices that are just primary care or um, just outpatient care, you have a, a fair number of smaller players um, that, so there's kind of like a long tail, but the market is, is predominantly dominated by software. But then the way healthcare software works is pretty old fashioned. Um, so as soon as a company signs with a medical records vendor, they also set up an, a whole long implementation plan. And generally speaking, each version of this software that exists is like an on-premise hosted hyper-customized configuration of that software. So while um, two organizations might both use Epic, their database structure and the way in which they document information can be totally different. Uh, that's that's honestly fascinating. Um, I, I love mm -hmm. learning about about different industries that where I can draw parallels to to what I know, which is which is software and just a kind of startup land. Um, yeah. Are there? I'm curious. I want to stay around this the industry for a second, and then we, then we'll move on. But you said the the most well known or one of the biggest players is, is Epic. Um, mm -hmm. Do I'm, I'm I'm curious. Are there companies that try to compete with epic like is Epic is, is epic kind of like an incumbent like google and there's tons of mini companies trying to like take on this google or this epic or is that just kind of how it is and no one no one's trying to take down the incumbent what's the culture in, in health healthcare health tech i think epic initially saw themselves as a bit of an underdog they're also my former employer so i have a little bit of like their inside take um and then has become like such a dominant player that in some ways they're actually very similar to google because you don't, there isn't really a lot of competition for Google search, right? Bing has existed, but it, Google is really the default place where people go. And similarly with large healthcare systems, at least Epic has become the default piece of software that people use. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's one of these things where um, what I look at as a founder minded person is I'm always intrigued in just different markets. And if mm -hmm. I can just, when I can see, when I, when I hear about something and then I can be like, Oh, wait a second. Like there's a gap there. So I want you to build a company or whatever. It's like my investor brain coming on one day. I'll be yeah. an investor. And when I have money, you know, but um, that's <laughs> interesting. So you, so you ultimately tap into Epic and anyone else that, that, uh, that's, that, that kind of does the same thing or similar thing. Um, I'm curious, one more question, just because I'm really trying to get a better understanding of this. Are there some systems that are closed, AKA you can't tap into them? And if that's, if that's the case, what do you do for those patients? Or um, yeah, kind of how does that work? Yeah, great question. So one of the hot topics in healthcare for the last um, many years actually has been the concept of interoperability which is a long and annoying word that's basically just like sharing information back and forth. Um, so what I think is really interesting is there's been a lot of, there was a lot of chatter, especially like a couple of years ago in startup land um, around blockchain for interoperability in healthcare, um, as if like this new technology was what was needed in order to crack the sharing of information. Um, my take on this is that the sharing of information in healthcare is technologically very possible, but you're dealing with kind of two ma major players within like the healthcare experience who don't really want to share information for like market reasons. So neither the like medical record software companies nor the like larger healthcare organizations want it to be super easy for you to pick up your data and leave. So if I'm Epic or Cerner or Meditech or one of the other EMR companies, I don't want you, my client and a healthcare organization 
to be able to pull all the data out of the piece of software that you've purchased from me and put it in another piece of software really easily. I want that process to be painful for you so you stay a client for a long time. Um, and then similarly, if I am a healthcare organization, like a city like San Francisco where I live, um, there are a whole bunch of healthcare organizations here and I don't wanna make it really painless for you as a, as a user of my system to be able to pick your data up and walk down the street to a different doctor in a different system. I want you to keep coming back so that you don't have to fill out forms again um, and like we own that data. Um, so what that ends up doing is kind of being really disadvantageous to doctors who are actually providing the care and would love to have more information and patients. Got it. That's fascinating. All, all this stuff is fascinating. Um, and almost like it feels like it aligns incentives a little bit. And, and would you would you compare yourself as um, I don't know if this is the right way to think about it, but you're kind of the middleman where like you're kind of like friends with everyone. Like you're not necessarily competing with an epic. So so you can yeah. you plug into their data, but you're also yeah, you're just connecting up your, your distribution for everyone pretty much. Would you consider yourself a middleman in this in this scenario? Yeah, totally. Got it. Totally. And and I think important to me to be seen as as the a middleman who's on the side of the patient and on the side of the care providers. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'd love to hear why did you uh, why did you get started with this? Um, it's now that we get kind of dived pretty deep, I guess, into the market. I understand that this is sounds pretty genius to me. Why 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 where'd you get the idea from, and why did you decide to pursue this one? Sure. So the idea really started a, a long time ago. Um, when I was about 18 years old, I was a senior in high school. I got sick with a rare neuromuscular disease and had a long and painful process of getting diagnosed and treated because it was not a thing that was super common. Um, and I was bouncing back and forth between specialists who weren't sharing information very well. Um, so cut to three years into me being sick with this illness. Um, I'm like later in college and I have a really bad episode and I decide that like, this is enough. I'm going to figure out what the heck is happening. Um, so I took all of my medical records, which in that stage circa like 2010 were in a large binder, kind of all like these like, like printed out pieces of paper with super unstructured data. I took all of the information out of the binder and turned it into spreadsheets and compared that with like the reading I was doing and restructured everything and brought that to a new neurologist um, and kind of like laid out for her a much clearer picture of what was going on. And we were able to come up with like diagnosis and treatment that was actually effective. So for me, this is like a very personal thing to like restructure and show healthcare information in a way that is more understandable, both from a patient perspective and from a physician perspective, I think ultimately leads to significantly better patient outcomes, better treatment pathways, um, better preventative medicine. And there's even like a fair amount of research that's starting to crop up that like the more engaged patients are with their own health information, the better their health outcomes are. Um, so this is meant to be a, a tool that really like hits on that trend and sets people up to um, feel good, be well, and also like feel like they're being successful in their management of their health. Wow, I, I love that. That's that's such a, I feel like every founder that answers this question should answer with a story with the same caliber as that, just because it's really, it's personal to you. You you understand it. It's, it's it, you know, you've had a pain and you're solving it. That's, that's badass. Um, I, I have one more question on uh, uh, the you, you the user experience, specifically to like someone like me. I'm actually just wondering, but um, I'm gonna give you a scenario which is real, like like it, it's happened. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and and I'd love to hear 
what before let's say none of these companies are using your software and this was before 20 you know this was before you started this so so none of them mm-hmm. were so i'd love to hear like how the information spreads then and then how it would spread down so let's say i um i have an eeg you know let's say this is like 2011 2012 it's pretty accurate yeah. for when all this stuff happened like i get an EEG, eeg and then i see you know one psychiatrist who gives me x um x uh uh um kind of X medication, Y, Y treatment, et cetera. And mm-hmm. then I hypothetically, I guess this isn't hypothetical, but like, then I get another test, like a blood test that, that, that tell, that suggests that the doctor is wrong. And then I see a new doctor with the new information and they get me on meds in like 2013 and, and everything, everyone's happy. Um, I'm, I'm happy at least, uh, Good. is, is, is all like, is the I don't know how to phrase this question, but like, is the EEG, the psychiatrist, the the doctor, the general doctor, the the therapist, is that all? How, do they all kind of have information? This this line, this timeline of me. Does the last person I've seen know that I had an EEG eight years ago? Um, I, at least, how did that work beforehand? And then mm-hmm. now, is this something that your software like would potentially or successfully solve for? Sure. So let's say you were to go to a new doctor, a new specialist around this problem, and you had this EEG that happened eight years ago. Um, If you went to a doctor that was in a different health system than the one you saw eight years ago, which is likely, right, you've likely moved moved or um, switched insurance, switched organizations, whatever else, they would not have um, default access to that information. Um, The way that would probably work now is that if they were on top of things on top of their paperwork before you went to see a new doctor, you maybe fill out a like a HIPAA release form that would probably get faxed over to your previous organization. Um, and then they would fax back the results from that EEG from a long time ago, pending how accessible it was to them and um, whether or not they were on kind of more slightly more compatible uh, EMR systems. Um, it sounds like when you were receiving care kind of like the first pass of all of this where you were maybe bouncing around between specialists and you had tests at different at like one an EEG out of one organization maybe a blood test out of a different one um it would be probably very difficult for you to have seen that information in one place together and depending on whether or not your doctors are working out of the same organization pretty difficult for them as well um and often things like that where like there's an EEG result and a medication and then a blood test that indicates and they all indicate something slightly different or they conflict it's not as if medical software is smart enough um and definitely wouldn't have been smart enough in 2012 to kind of point that out or like highlight or make any kind of indication to the physician that there was something going on there um it would definitely be up to the doctor to kind of like dig around and find that data and like parse it process it and um make decisions it's it's so interesting um, because man that oh man that's just interesting because I, so, I I mean everything I just mentioned was real I I mean I I currently have something called Klein Levin syndrome which is a, a extremely rare neurological disorder and when I first got diagnosed uh, or sorry when I first had had my first couple of episodes everyone was wondering what the hell was wrong with me and like mm-hmm. what just what what happened happened and I I saw many people I got many tests many things and like and everyone was like yeah. pretty much wrong because and, yeah. and it just it just, I feel, and I feel like I'm not the only one, right? I feel like this is a common, I mean, is this, is this something, is this a, a use case that you're trying to solve for? Do you know of a lot of people that, that because there isn't great communication between doctors or psychiatrists or et cetera, they like get a, their diagnosis pushed 
back because they can't get right information? Is that something you think about at all? It's something I think about a lot, for sure. I think it's definitely true in my case. It sounds like it was true in yours, and I'm sorry you went through that. That's not fun. Um, and it's actually quite common, especially for rare diseases, which if you group rare diseases together, the like incident rate of them existing as a whole is, is actually quite large. Um, but because there are a whole bunch of them and they're not um, kind of like commonly seen in practice, they're uh, often not kind of like the, the pathway to get to a, one of those diagnoses can be quite circuitous. Um, and I think the research is like, it takes between like five to seven years to get diagnosed with a rare disease. Mm -hmm. So I think both you and I were actually ahead of the trend, ahead of the curve. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because I'm actually like pretty, I mean, I had a, I had like a pretty gnarly high school, early college life. And I'm recently started to like be more open about it. Cause I think it's important in the wake of like a lot of mental health stuff. But yeah, like there's points where I was like diagnosed with like bipolar with psychotic symptoms. I was once diagnosed with like schizophrenia, which like obviously I don't have. And mm -hmm. it, um, it's just like, it's, it's just, it's serious stuff. And something that, uh, that just makes me wonder where, people and I guess our positions role lays when like you have like mental health stuff going on in, in 2020, you know, suicides, mm -hmm. people not understanding invisible illnesses and shit like that. It's just like, what, what can people do to, to help? Um, and uh, this is like, kind of like shifting the conversation a bit. We don't have to go down this path, but honestly, I've been thinking a lot about just like mental health. How can we get people what they need and how can we get people to like realize that, uh, a broken head is the same thing as a broken foot. You just like can't see, mm -hmm. you know, you just can't see it. And it's something I think a lot about. I don't know. Um, I mean, do yeah, you, do I you have, you. Do, yeah, I mean, do you, I mean, do you have many thoughts on, on mental health or that, or that world? Um, I, we don't have to go down that path if you don't want to, but I'm curious if you do like deal with that a lot uh, as, as you build this company and work with all types of, all types of people. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, a handful of things come to mind. One being, you're right, mental health is as is like equal to physical health and not just that, but also mental health um, conditions can like impact physical health. And so you often see like um, other kind of like primary me metrics around physical health decreasing in people with mental health issues. Uh, and that can be for a whole bunch of reasons that we don't necessarily fully understand, but those are definitely symbiotic things. And the way we talk about them is so different and so disparate that like, I think there's definitely something of value in bringing that information about, about mental health and physical health together to see how they influence each other. And then I think you and I probably both know that having a like physical health issue can obviously like have a huge impact on your mental health. Um, and so understanding the kind of like symbiotic relationship between both of those things, I think is, is important and it's important to talk about them and them both in a way that's like not stigmatized and we can be kind of be open and clear. Yeah, I've, I've quite, I, I agree with everything you just said. I've questioned, like, I feel like I, I'm a very open of the fact that I have KLS. I'm not open about the fact that I've been, like, diagnosed with things that I've been diagnosed with, even though they've been false. But I've questioned yeah. being open about it, even though it's kind of gnarly. I mean, some of those things are pretty intense. So I, I, I guess I'm grappling with myself. What's the line for, for my own, my own, I guess, thoughts on, on how to explain that stuff. I don't know. It's, it's just on my mind. Um, we don't have to talk about it though. Or, yeah, I, pre I appreciate your response. Um, I mean, I mean, so I think a lot to, of what you're, yeah. Yeah. a lot of what you're hitting on is, is the, the like emotional angst around having a diagnosis, like, like be, being, to being told what you are, or what you have, like the diagnostic process. And particularly when that process is wrong, um, whether it's through lack of information or whatever else. Um, that that's like a very emotional and difficult 
thing. I've, I've definitely been told that I had all sorts of crazy things that I did not have. Um, and that was like, that's been very stressful for me too. Like I've been diagnosed, like differentially diagnosed with like MS or ALS or like, uh, cancer in various places. And it's, it's like too super traumatic. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder, um, I, I, I'm starting to see, uh, specifically, there's a VC, um, his lot, his, his Twitter handle is Josh Media, but I like, I'm forget. oh, Josh Felser, Josh Felser, who is one of the co-founders, I believe, of Freestyle, Freestyle Capital, just announced, I don't know, like a week ago, that they were providing mental health, um, uh, uh, I don't know, what's the word, um, not treatment, but like mental health, like, services, like, services therapy, except, like pretty much access to things that that most you know most companies don't get access to but and yeah. they and they foot the bill right like they, they spend a lot of money on that because he thinks that's important and I, I i just hope that more people follow suit um and i uh, i don't know I, I just think mental health is an important conversation and it should be had in the right way um because it's real a lot of people deal with it it's just it's not it's not visible so it's hard, it's not it's not as obvious when when you see it because you don't see it no one sees it you yeah. just feel it yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I would say it, it reminds me of a thing that I've been saying now for like many years since before I had the idea for Vessel even, um, which is that like, if I, if I run a company someday, which I guess I'm doing now, I would much rather have everyone have free access to therapy than free access to beer or like, you know, I'd much rather. Spend oh, yeah. Money. Yeah. I think it's it, such an it's, interesting. It's, sorry. Good for everyone. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, go ahead. No. Yeah, well, that, that's interesting because I, I usually work in a, um, well, at least I used to work for about three years in a galvanize. And um, speaking of Galvanize, they just got mm-hmm. uh, acquired. Um, it wasn't a great acquisition. Anyways, this isn't a VC, <laughs> separate conversation. Um, but uh, I, I worked at a Galvanize for three years. I mean, worked out of one. And yeah, they got they, they had beer on tap. And obviously, I'm not suggesting that Galvanize provide mental health services, of course. But, um, you know, same with WeWorks. And so it's just, I feel like this culture of providing things that might be vanity important, but not actually important. And I think your suggestion of swapping out some of these vanity perks with real motherfucking perks in things that we all deal mm-hmm. with would be uh quite 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 amazing honestly uh that would be yeah. I, I, what do you think do you, do you have any idea on what it would take to make that happen that culture shift or that this that shift what what do you think is that the moment that that people realize that that's going to be more important than free Kool-Aid I think we're getting there I think it's it'll be a slow transformation but it feels like we're getting there um one thing that comes to mind is as we're as we're kind of grappling a little bit more um, openly as a country with addiction issues, um, you start to see a little bit more like trepidation around things like having free alcohol around. I know tech in general can be a pretty hard place to be if you have addiction issues and are trying to like socialize and be part of the group um, like without partaking in something like alcohol. So I, th- I think we're heading there. Um, and I think like, yeah, kind of gra- grappling with some of the the kind of large scale addiction issues we're seeing in the United States is definitely a, a way into it. And then you also see that with kind of like some of the more progressive and inclusive companies, like the trend towards being really um, thoughtful about the kind of perks you're, you're providing for a diverse workforce. Um, so stuff like childcare on site, like I think free therapy and childcare on site are significantly, significantly higher valued, especially to like kind of older and more experienced employees than something like free beer or kombucha. Not that I don't love kombucha. 
Damn, free childcare offered. I've never thought of that before. Just, I mean, candidly, because I I personally haven't need had the need. I'm I'm sure one day I will. But wow, childcare is that? Are you suggesting? Is this a thing? Are are there people offering mm-hmm. childcare? Wow, do you mind sharing um, an example of one? I, I really didn't know that was uh, that was happening. But obviously, I'm like not the demographic. So if you can share an example, I'd love to hear. I am thinking of names, but I honestly can't guarantee that they actually do. So I don't want to name any companies because no worries. I don't well, want so then, can you can you let, let's say company A, company A, like what does that even do? They have a a like a a center of their physical location where they have kids, or is it sorry? That's probably it's probably more of a they offer a stipend where where the parents can put them into childcare and the company covers it. Is that more of what it is, or how does it work based on your knowledge? I think there's both. I, I believe that there's I've I've heard and read about both. Um, the value of having it be on site is that then if you're a parent and you have a child who's in their childcare like downstairs, you can like pop in and say hello, or it's just like much easier in terms of like transport and drop off and all of that as well. Wow, that that's that's awesome. It actually is that that doesn't stem so far from what I'm working on now with with my day job at Prenda. Prenda, yeah, and we we do micro schools all around Arizona, and I see us potentially. One, I mean, I don't, I'm not I'm not the CEO, so obviously it's not not my decision. But I, I could see us one day, maybe in like five years after we've kind of done the S curve in the current market, getting into mm-hmm. uh, getting into childcare. Just because it's like top of mind, I think that's super awesome, right? That's like the coolest perk I've ever heard. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> it's what also, are some other? Is uh, so expensive. It's so expensive yeah. to, especially for like young children preschool. Um, yeah, so it's also like very high economic value. Do you have uh, any other ideas on what some newer school perks um, that you that you've seen around um, from more progressive companies or newer companies? Like, what are some other perks that you've seen that like I have a perks that you see and you're like, wow, I, once I, we get big enough, I want this perk in my company too. Is there anything else mm. that sticks out? Yeah. Uh, the other thing that really comes to mind is some of the like continuing education stipends. So either going to conferences and being able to do professional networking, which I think is just kind of like good for everyone, um, or taking classes online. Some of the kind of like online learn to code stuff I think is really, really fantastic. Um, so I would, I personally think that like the most, um, one of one of the most motivating things in a job is, is being able to learn things, um, whether that's through doing the job or through having the job support you learning something else you're interested in. I think that's like highly valuable. I am so for that. The more people realize that, that education doesn't stop after you, you finish college, the better. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's almost, it, it's like, I feel like in tech, we don't have this problem as much as outside of tech. That's probably a very biased thing to say. I'll, I'll totally admit. I just have been in tech for so long, but mm-hmm. I, have, I have so many friends that, that aren't in tech that I feel like are, are just done like they don't read they don't learn they don't they're not investing in themselves i'm just and obviously there's people in tech that do that too um yeah. but i'm just like how like the, like the world changes and when you went to college if you went to college in you know 2000 or even 2012 like shit's changing got to stay up to date got to keep your your brain fresh <laughs> yes but you were also an entrepreneurial type if i recall there's, yeah, there's something that, about that kind of like I want to go make, build, yeah. do. It's a yeah. That is correct. If we if we turned on video right now, which I don't want to because I don't want to affect the signal, but if we did, you would get a get a glimpse at my bookshelf with probably like a hundred books, all about tons of different random stuff about tech business. Yeah. So that's a, that's a very good point. Do, I mean, do you think that people? I mean, yeah. So I'm an entrepreneurial type, and I that's kind of who, who I am. 
do you think there everyone should have a, a a sense of entrepreneurship not so much to like build a, a company but uh the people that that aren't lifelong learners and, and aren't investing in their education let's say even if they could let's like uh, take the financial constraint out of it even though the internet regardless like do, do you find there's some people that just don't learn and, and maybe what we could do as a society to convince more people to th that, that college or education doesn't end after you finish college. It ends uh, whenever you want it to end up, which could be never. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's, I feel like there's so much wrapped up in that and so much of it, particularly around education. I don't feel like I'm the most um, like, knowledgeable yeah, or educated to speak that's on. Like, that's no, like no. my world so I'm sorry if I'm going <laughs> that we don't we don't have to go deep. <laughs> my, my line about education has always been like somebody really needs to like take a good hard look at this and, and make some things better and like that is not that's not my calling that's not my job um because I was just like the nerd in the front of the class raising my hand aggressively like talking over everybody else for a lot of my life I don't I don't think I'm well positioned to kind of speak broadly about the education experience because mine was particular um but more generally, I also think like it take it takes different kinds of people with very different um, sets of motivations to make like a larger company run. So it's one thing to get something off the ground, but um, in my career, I have I feel like I've I've only come to appreciate people who had different styles and different skill sets and ways of focusing than I do. So I am very much like a zero to one kind of person. I like to go from there's like no structure to building a structure, making something work, and getting something off the ground. And there are people who are like way more detail oriented than I am and way more focused and are really able to kind of like hone in and optimize something um, in a way that like isn't always the most motivating kind of type of work to do for me or like really, really detailed, um, like high quality data analysis, for example, like I'm great at a quick and dirty set of data analytics, but like I'm not the person to write the research study. Um, and so uh, I, I'm interested in building a company where like we can be clear about the, like the ways in which different personalities and different kinds of like motivations can shine. I like that a lot. Um, I like, I like anything in this realm, honestly, I'm super passionate about this stuff. Have you, have you heard of this company called, uh, I believe the, the domain is learn monthly and the, the, uh, the company is just called monthly. Have you, have you heard of them? I have not. So monthly is really cool. So, um, it, it, this, it, I'll explain what it is in a second, but I, I want to give like a, a slight backstory. Like you have you to me, and Udacity, mm -hmm. and, and which kind of started off this like mass education in a in a great way. Like Udemy, I, I've spent so much money on Udemy, and I'm glad I spent every every penny. And yeah. but but um, I mean yeah. So you have that, but once something you know grows to be big, then there's room for disruption. And this company monthly came out, which pretty much takes you uh, not YouTube influencers, but just like influencers who were very good in a craft, very good in a craft. For example, like a Sam, like a uh, someone like a Sam Colder of of videography and they and they make them teachers and they mm -hmm. and they, they they ultimately have these people do courses or, or school through monthly and it's only a month long so you take a course for a month and you, you have an action you have an action item and, and a deliverable at the end and it's done you know and i think this this yeah. concept of like take a month spend whatever it is you know a couple hundred bucks learn a skill and you don't have to commit for four years it's only a month just mm -hmm. it's crazy crazy cool yeah, it's really great. I think a lot of the online education, like there are there are particular disciplines. Um, so like potentially videography, I know personally like coding, where like the the medium of the internet is like a really great way to learn. It's also a really great way to learn for like certain types of learners. 
So I have been like thrilled with the proliferation of like all sorts of online content to learn, even just YouTube alone. The, the number of things I've learned how to do on YouTube, just like I'm looking right now out my leaky windows and like the like ceiling and caulking of the windows that my partner and I did two weeks ago that is like keeping me warm right now. We learned how to do on YouTube. Nice. YouTube is the OG teacher in our, of the internet for sure. What other, yeah. you know, outside, so we, you know, we talked about health, talked about mental health, talked about education. What other things kind of get your heart racing and what other industries just excite you within health or outside of health? Kind of what other stuff is interesting to you? One industry I think is like generally overlooked in terms of um, like, kind of amount of money and like size and stuff going on in it generally is the beauty industry just um, it's coming to mind because we're talking about YouTube and like beauty influencers and skincare people and all of that. Like, I think there's a lot of fascinating stuff happening right now. And it's also a really interesting space where there are a lot of like female entrepreneurs and like solo female founders. Um, and often they're taken a little less seriously because they're kind of often focused on selling to women, but it's a huge market space and there's lots of really interesting stuff happening with like brand development and, um, kind of relationship between like a brand and consumers that I think is like very cool. Do you, do you spend a decent amount of time thinking, well, that's kind of a weird question, just influencers <laughs> the, like, like the, the, so it's interesting that you mentioned beauty influencers uh, or, or fat or makeup influencers or anything in, in that realm. I feel like anyone can be a, like you, if you have an interest you now can become an influencer because chances are if you have, if you're into something, at least one other person is in the world and you have the internet, which is distribution and you, you never had the internet 30 years ago. You couldn't just instantly like influencers. I mean, I mean, let's just hypothesize for a second. How do I'm actually curious. How do people get popular in like 1950? Like that's an honest, that's an honest question. Um, like do they send out like is their email list turn into like just mailing lists and they send out notes to people that like subscribe <laughs> like like what's the equivalent to an influencer in 1950 and not assuming you're an expert here but just like a, as a cre creative uh, thought pro process um, how they how oh. they get the word out about themselves back then oh I think you had to like take out advertisements and newspapers or I guess 1950 there was television and like you had to have a lot more institutional access right in order to be able to distribute ah. any kind of information Interesting. Institutional access. There's this trend, or it's not even a trend, it's more of just a, a shift of, and as so many people are talking about it, from the institution to the mm -hmm. individual, powered yeah, by, powered by technology. And you're in this, right? You're like, you're, you know, your, your company is like, is in this. You're, you're giving the power to the, to the, to the person, to the individual. Um, yeah. Damn. I, how far, like, how far do you think that's going to go? Um, are people like, could, could a Joe, Ro I mean, look at like Joe Rogan, you know, regardless of, of how anyone feels about him is like more influential than so many news companies. And I feel like we're just in the early days of, of a, of like, of the internet. Honestly, it's only 30 years in like, like what, what, what do we have in store for individuals um, in, uh, in the future? And we could even talk within the, within the scope of health. Um, what, what kind of power will they have that maybe uh, individuals like us, you know, we haven't had, you know, in recent years. Yeah. Yeah. A few thoughts. One is just very broadly, I think, and this is definitely not my idea. I've definitely like heard and read this in many other places, but the idea that like really, because we are in this nascent age of like having this much information access, what will happen over the next few decades is that people will develop a much better appetite for 
how they consume information, which information they consume, and we need to develop, we all need to develop better muscles around what we don't consume. Um, like, I think we've all been in, like, a TV binge-washing session where, like, you get to the end of it, and you're like, what did I just do with, like, 10 hours of my life? Um, and while that can be, like, kind of disassociative in, like, a kind of pleasant way, it is, um, like, a, a skill we need to develop in our brains to be able to kind of like walk away from some of the pretty addicting content. Um, and I think that's definitely a trend we'll see and like kind of potentially even like more tools around that. So even like the, the some of the more recent iPhone updates where you can have certain categories of apps like shut themselves off or be harder to access um, in different times of day and, and or like turning your screen to black and white, all of those kinds of tricks I think are super interesting. Um, but then in healthcare, like there is a big trend towards consumer, like the kind of the consumerization of healthcare and consumers having more choice um, and also needing to make smarter choices in order to be able to spend money efficiently. So kind of the idea of putting the, the purchasing power in the hands of the patient so that they are going to the doctor that's, that's cheaper versus kind of insurance paying for anyone. So it's kind of like high deductible trend and and high out-of-pocket cost trend and from my perspective that trend can't actually come to fruition until it is easy for you to take your data and move around like in, until the the barrier to, to swapping doctors is significantly decreased so I, I would like to think that vessel is kind of like a, a piece of that puzzle overall yeah i, I like that the kind of vision and the the way that it all fits in and i actually would love to hear um you know kind of higher level um 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the line, let's say everything that you hope for, for your company vessel happens and it grows exactly how you want it to grow. What, uh, what does it look like? How, how will we be interacting with it? And, you know, if, if it gets as big as it could get, what, uh, you know, what'll, what will it be? Yeah. I mean, I really want it to be like your partner in, moving through healthcare and the healthcare experience. So we, we as Vessel get to know about you, your personal health history, your metrics, your data, and then we can use that to help guide you through decisions you're making, either whether it's like around picking insurance or picking primary care doctors, or just knowing that like, hey, this time when you go into the doctor, you should ask about this because according to like public health best practices, you should be getting this test done. Um, or even like empowering you to be able to push back on having things done like more frequently than necessary. So an example of this recently for me was like, I went to the dentist and they tried to take x-rays even though I had x-rays done like uh, only a few months prior. And I was like, no, according to the data, this only needs to happen once a year. And like, I don't, I know my insurance doesn't cover it multiple times a year. So like, no, let's not do this. There's no need. Um, but it was like the default thing to do, you know? Um, so being able to ha like encourage and empower people to have more of those kind of micro interactions where they feel like they deeply understand the kind of care that they're getting and why and can advocate for like themselves, um, have a good sense of how, like how much things cost and what things cost them um, and can have like really kind of like higher level um, conversations with physicians about um, the, the more intricate stuff. Like we, um, we spend a lot of money and time training doctors to like think really in a really complex way and really like under deeply understand like the, the system overall. And so as much as we can emphasize doctors getting to work within that space and um, kind of more of that deductive reasoning versus just sort of like clicking buttons in an EMR, I think the better. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I want to live in a future like that, especially based on, on my experience and your experience too. It's needed. It's necessary. And I hope it happens. And what I would like to do with, with my last question for the podcast is see how the forward thinking founders community can help you get just an inch or even a foot closer to that vision. Uh, the question is what's an ask that you have for the community. We got a good amount of people listening. People are probably really into what you're building and, and we're here to help. So, so what's an ask that you have for the community? Really simple. Sign up vesselhealth.io, B-E-S-S-E-L, and check it out. Hook up your doctors um, and shoot me an email if you have any questions. You can say to like hello at vesselhealth.io and I will respond to them all personally, especially if you're a forward-thinking founder listener. Boom. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We literally went everywhere, but you, you literally also just have, I feel like you just have insights on everything, which, which is awesome. It shows how, how good of a founder you are. Something I've learned is I think that, um, I think when founders, like founders may not be experts in different things, but they can, they can like roll with, it. you know, they can roll with it they, they, and, you, and you can surely roll with it. So thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Love what you're working on. We'll probably sign up right after we hop off. And just thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot, Matt. It was great talking to you.